0: Hello and welcome once again to episode 139 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing our code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode, and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So once again, we have uh, some new Swift evolution updates, uh, this time concerning macros, but macros are now real, uh, so we can talk about them uh, in more detail uh, and this one is to kind of, now that people have been playing around with macros, there's obvious, like, cleanup uh, that has, like, escaped the initial design phase. Uh, and uh, now that people are using it, it's it's become obvious what needs to change about them. Uh, and it seems like there's a proposal to kind of get that going before Swift 5.9 uh, actually goes out. Uh, so that's really cool.
1: Yeah looks looks cool. I um uh was kind of looking at this and I suppose like the the main part about this uh extension macro thing is just to allow you to put the conformances of specific types in that like at attached macro is that kind of the whole thing there?
0: Yeah, so the conformance macro which this is considering replacing uh it just adds hey, this conforms to this protocol and that's it. Which is right. not useful if you don't also add an implementation that goes along with it. Uh, so uh, the the new uh, type, which is an extension macro, adds conformance, uh, including a possible where clause, uh, but also adds the actual conformance to the uh, I see to okay. the the protocol that you're adding conformance to. So it would add the method implementation uh that will go ahead and do the work. So, if you were to imagine an equatable uh macro which is actually a macro uh just built into the Swift compiler if you want to think of it that way. Uh-huh. Um like when you mark a type as equatable and you don't do anything extra, right? It's synthesizing an equatable function for you. Um and I think there's a way in Xcode that I'm forgetting off the tip of my uh, mind of like how uh, to see what the implementation is, but you can see what it generates huh. for you. Uh, but yeah, it's it's something that's generated by the compiler just by looking at all your properties and saying, well, if this is equal and this is equal and this is equal and this is equal, mm-hmm. that's why you need equatable conformance for all your individual properties. Otherwise, that code isn't right. going to work. And, that breaks. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's very simple. Um, and this kind of allows it to be declared outside of the compiler. So that way it's not like magic. Um, And I think that's, that's the general goal uh, with these Swift changes, especially with like property wrappers at lazy was magic, right? With property wrappers, it no longer needs to be magic. It can go ahead and be something that's implemented um, in, in code. And then you can get lazy. You can get all sorts of different behaviors. Um, So uh, gotcha. That's that's what this is kind of also enabling. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, another thing that Apple has gone ahead and released, uh, and this was just a surprise, I think, uh, mm-hmm. is a new package, open source, called Swift HTTP Type. Swift HTTP Types. Uh, and uh, this is a package... Uh, that just contains a whole bunch of types related to the HTTP, um, spec, uh, and it will go ahead and allow you to, instead of hard code 200, you can just say <laughs> dot, okay. Yeah. Uh, it gives you, uh, requests and response, uh, like currency types that you can go ahead and model HTTP requests and HTTP responses, um, it will go ahead and give you access to headers in a type safe way. Uh, that's finally according to like the headers are part of the spec. You have to match the spec. If yep. they're custom, you can just put whatever you want in them. That's totally fine. Um, but that gives a lot more uh, a lot more consistency to kind of modeling all of this. Um, and I think this is the best part it's available for both URL session. So there's like overloads to just use it with URL session in your apps and Swift Neo. So if you're on the server, you can also use these types. And I think that's the motivation behind a lot of this is there's kind of this bifurcation between URL session in apps and Swift Neo on server based apps. Um, And there's not really a lot of consistency between like how things are kind of, uh, described if you did want to have a cross-platform app so this this makes it a lot more consistent uh, and it seems to me like it's replacing part of the foundation what foundation provided uh, early on for URLs mm. just with a better API that is kind of outside of what Apple ships with the operating system right um, mm-hmm. and allows it to be evolved separately. Uh, along with that until it reaches some stability point where it's not really changing anymore, then it can be brought in. But as of now, it's something completely separate, which I think is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I'm very excited about this. Um, yeah, with like, you know, using Vapor, there's, I, I forget if it's HTTP status or HTTP response status, but those have existed for like dot OK and stuff. So it's nice to kind of have some parity between uh things that use Neo and things that use URL session. And, you know, I'm not actually sure if there are um, type-safe ways of of getting, like, headers either. I think you might have had to write those even in Vapor. So, yeah, good stuff all around. I'm super stoked to, you know, bring this in and just start using it, um, both in in Vapor and honestly just in, in, you know, Apple land as well. So that's great.
0: Yeah, and I imagine this removes some of the burden on Vapor, to provide all these types and it, they can mm-hmm. simplify as a result uh, and then just rely on this package uh, yeah. to provide the missing pieces. So all around very cool uh, to see that here. Yep. And fun that
1: it's coming from Apple and just, you know, it's, it's yeah, basically a first party thing. Like, you know, it's the right thing and it's actually going to get adoption because of it. It already yeah. has 105 stars and it has two commits that came out like last week or something. So yeah.
0: Yeah, it's 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 really cool seeing all these first-party packages from Apple because then they just become optional packages that you can potentially use or potentially not use. The only sad thing about this is you can't just use it in like a command line app um, without the full package. Not a command line app, but uh, a Swift. Uh, what's the term for it? Uh, uh, script. Um, oh, so sure. you can't just like write a Swift file. Uh, And then just run it if you wanted to use any of these things. You need to make a full package which is a little bit heavy when all you wanted to do is something quick and dirty. Um, And you see that with like the Swift Argument Parser. It's like the perfect thing for a script file that you just can't use because it's a package that you would need to, you would have needed to import uh, to be able to use. So um, I hope that these over time, since they are first party packages do get bundled in as a part of the OS, um, and as a part of the runtime, but that they stay packages for cases where you want to use a slightly newer version, um, then you can go ahead and do that. So uh, that allows quite a bit of flexibility, uh, though, as we said last time, uh, with the observability um, protocol uh, coming in, that introduces new types, and therefore that is not background deployable. Um, And it's not something that you can just like import the new version in your app and have that play nice with the version that's bundled in with the OS. Uh, So we're going to have to see how that evolves with Swift over time, because it certainly I would say is a problem for how the language is kind of bifurcating in this open source uh, domain, but also in the closed source domain, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, real quick, we have someone in, in the YouTube chat asking, uh, I've been looking at Vapor recently. What's your view of its growth in the foreseeable future? Um, I'll definitely let Dimitri answer this, but kind of, if you've been following server side Swift for years, I kind of started looking at it in like 2016, 2017. Uh, there were like three or four different kind of server side Swift frameworks, um, and Vapor ended up winning out, and I don't think any of the other ones exist anymore. The other big one was like Katura, which was backed by IBM, and I don't think it exists anymore, which is kind of crazy. Um, so as far as the growth goes, I think it's, you know, it's here to stay. Uh, Tim, um, I forget his last name, is Condon. the maintainer. What's that? Condon, yes, um, is the maintainer, and I think there are quite a few um, contributors to the to the project and... I don't particularly see any reason why it would go away. Um, He, or maybe it was someone else on Mastodon, has said that like internally at Apple, it sounds like they're perhaps using vapors for some things. Uh, Take that with a grain of salt, but I would say that it's a very viable thing. I know that real companies use it. it, perhaps Apple excluded, but yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you think?
0: Yeah, there is one other uh server side framework that I know of that's called Hummingbird. That's relatively new. Okay. Um so that one is uh also available uh if you wanted an alternative to Vapor, which is always healthy. Um uh, but Vapor I think is here to stay. There are several uh big production apps that are built using it. It's 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 ready for prime time. Uh it is being used heavily. Um, and it it does it does things quite well. Um, so if it is something that you want to look into, it's a whole lot easier to get started with now that there's no uh, <laughs> futures and promises to yes. to learn. Although that is like a, a very good like mental exercise to get accustomed to because it does prepare you very well for uh, working with uh, mm-hmm. asynchronous code. Um, but now that you can just use async await uh that makes it a whole ton easier to kind of uh deal with in general and they are actively pushing to use asynchronous sequences and stuff like that more and more so uh it's 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 getting there uh and getting to to a very good place that makes it very easy to go ahead and use especially if you're just building an iOS app and you need a server component it's easy mm-hmm. to get yeah definitely Uh, In other news, uh, Apple also released uh, beta 3s of everything. So this includes uh, Vision OS. This includes, or this does not include Vision OS. This includes iOS, tvOS, macOS, watchOS, uh, and Xcode. Uh, Vision OS is missing from this, um, which is weird, uh, but that's the way it is. Uh, And uh, yeah. We're
1: still on beta 1 of, of Vision OS, right? There's yep. no beta 2? Yeah. Okay.
0: There's no beta yeah. 2 yet.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Um, an interesting part about um, beta 3 of Xcode specifically is that Paul Hudson noticed that uh, the 10 view limit on a SwiftUI view is gone. So you don't Finally. need to use a group anymore. So that means we've got macros, baby. They're, they must be integrated
0: in... And, it's not you know. macros it's Is the it not? it's the type packs and the parameter packs oh
1: okay okay, the okay magic okay.
0: of swift generics mm,
1: that's awesome yeah yeah very exciting though
0: uh i i i haven't played around with it i do wonder if that limits you to uh the latest ios and mac os versions or if that does back deploy to earlier versions like a yeah. lot of Swift UI improvements over the years have back deployed gracefully. Um, So I wonder if this is one of those. I think it is because it's just a function addition and any function addition uh, basically back deploys if Apple wants it to. Um, So that would be a good thing um, to see uh, and to finally kind of free ourselves of that uh unfortunateness. Yes. So we'll see. Mm hmm. Um, another awkward thing, uh, is that TestFlight added support for Vision OS apps so that way you can test them on your Vision Pros that you uh, don't have, yeah, uh, and you can submit them with the betas of Vision OS SDK that don't exist. Um, uh, so it's like a little, a little weird that it's available. It's It's good that it's available first, uh, but they probably could have held the announcement for, um, just a few more weeks bro, to, to align with everything else, I would say.
1: Yeah. I mean, to be fair, the the update page and the news and updates thing on the developer page just lists, like, you can submit apps with Xcode for iOS and, and iPadOS and VisionOS. So it's not just like a specific, hey, we're letting you submit VisionOS things. It's just like all of the betas can,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, you can submit apps for the betas. So, yeah. But yes, I, I understand where you're coming from as well a little weird a little bit um we also have an update for the game porting toolkit which uh i love that <laughs> that people are trying to just like get like normal people are just trying to get games running on mac os and they're not really using it as like game developers to port it they're just like i can run windows games on my computer now on my mac now uh so it it um it was a couple days that i watched this video so i i can't quite remember but there were Anywhere from incremental to pretty decent updates in frame rates from like Cyberpunk 2077 was like 7 frames per second to like 20 something, I think if I remember right. Elden Ring had a smaller update, so I mean, that's cool. I guess Apple's doing some work behind the scenes to improve it, but again, this is not really, as much as I wish it was, uh, it's not really a tool for the end user to just play Windows games as to the games but no one cares about that which i think is really funny so
0: yeah it it reminds me of a a recent video by uh linus tech tips uh where he went ahead and just got an x uh to run uh <laughs> yeah. games but then the gpu would not fit in the x so he had like this crazy uh extension riser cable. pci riser cable to like Get the GPU working. And then everything was good. Uh, the hard drive that had all the games died. Um, yeah. And those are the the ones that are keyed. So you can't just put any hard drive in there. Uh, and then finally, uh, the real kicker was uh, Steam is dropping support for this version of Steam in 77 days. And yeah. that was the last <laughs> version that would run. So it's like, good thing they're getting the video out now, I guess. Uh, yeah.
1: Whatever. <laughs> When was the last XServe made? Like 2011 or something? It's so a long old.
0: a long time ago. Yeah. I guess you can think of the new Mac Pro as like a, a new modern version of the XServe. So it's like. Sure. It fits the GPUs at least. Uh, or at least the 2019 model does. Um, so. Let's see. 2009.
1: Yeah. That was the last XServe. They're pretty freaking old. And they had to use like an old Nvidia card because it was actually still yeah supported. the last supported one. It was yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a good video. <laughs> yeah, uh, I enjoyed it.
0: Very fun. Uh, but yeah, uh, all in all seriousness. I wonder if the game pouring toolkit is going to be enough um, because it does only show you a preview of what your game will will run at. It doesn't. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It doesn't package your game uh like if you think oh this looks good package it up uh it's, right. it does not do that um it provides like this is really the first step of the game porting toolkit that everyone's kind of looking at the second step uh does do some translation it allows you to use all your shaders as is and right. compile them as met- metal shaders uh which is really good uh but then the third step is rewrite your game to run on mac os uh which is yeah. a bit more daunting um for for a lot of folks uh especially when you have to like just generally rethink your whole graphics pipeline uh like everything up until the shaders is significant uh and you have to just like rethink all of that for macOS, which might be quite the burden so um yeah i don't i don't know what to think about that part it's to see if like real games are ever going to i say real um. Mm-hmm to To see if if uh, the AAA style games are ever going to make it over to the Mac. Uh, obviously, the Mac, uh, by as an extension of iOS, has a lot of games. It's just not the types of games that people who play who play capital G games like to think about as games. Um, which I, that's like a whole another thing. It's like maybe people are uh, were like choosing between movies and TV shows like movies are the real thing and TV shows are the fake things I would akin it to that it's the same media uh, same type of quality uh, for the most part but the way that it's delivered is slightly different Um, and at a certain point you start getting two hour long TV shows uh, that just have like 12 episodes and at that point the budget is quite a bit larger than a movie Um, (laughs) and uh, it seems like the, the line is blurring more and more. So we'll see if we ever get like full quality AAA a games. Uh, I say with giant air quotes in the future. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it remains to be seen. Indeed it does.
1: Uh, what also remains to be seen is, uh, what we talked about last episode, which would be a 32 inch iMac. Um, seems like that's been a little bit delayed. So, womp, womp. uh, yeah, shocker. Uh, Sounds like uh, Mark Gurman said that uh, he he warned in his weekly newsletter that it's still in the early stages of development and it'll come in late 2024 at the earliest. So that's a little bit of a bummer. And then on top of that, a M3-powered iMac is also... uh, He previously predicted that it would be out in, in late 2020... Before the end of 2023, and now he's saying early 2024 so we don't have a uh, an m2 powered imac do we nope
0: it's still the m1 yeah
1: yeah so it's going to skip a generation i guess and that's that's that so
0: yeah which is honestly fine like i don't think yeah. that the m2 is uh, for everyday computing a drastic game changer yeah. over the m1 and the type of folks that would want an imac are the folks that would want one for an everyday computing device right Um, This is something that is stationary at a desk, you get a nice big screen, comfortable uh, input methods, um, and it does computery things just fine. You're not uh, making a movie, you're not developing, you're not pushing it hard to any extent, it just facet everything it does. Um, That's the kind of device that people want out of an iMac. Sure, you can get a Mac Mini, but then you need to get a separate monitor. Yes. It's like a whole thing that people don't really want to think about. It doesn't even come with a keyboard and mouse, right? Uh, People don't want to think about that when they just need a computer and they don't want to do anything else. They just want something that they can put on their desk and use. Uh, The iMac is the solution to that. The alternative is a laptop, right? But then a laptop, it has different constraints. It's much smaller Um, yes, you can move it around, but then you have to worry about, like, charging it and stuff like that, which some people, like, are more than okay with, to be clear. Um, but other people just want something stationary, um, and that's always there and always available, so, uh, we'll see, uh, when the next IMAX come out. I think, uh, a lot of people will be very happy if they still come in colors, uh, and extremely saddened if they don't, um. I am I'd not that so person. Surprised. But <laughs> I'd be so
1: surprised if they don't keep the colors.
0: It would be I a travesty, know. honestly. It would. Like, it's if so fun. Just... It's the funnest part of an Apple store. You walk in yeah. and you have that corner with all five or six iMacs uh, that are just lined up. It's so nice looking. Uh, and then you have everywhere else is just, like, gray. Uh, yeah. And in another corner, <laughs> you have the colorful iPhones from last year. Uh, and yeah. it's like, come on, Apple.
1: More color. I know, dude. I will, I will buy them the dye, because I know that's how you dye metal. I, I don't actually know how you do it, but so I will buy the dye. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I'll, maybe I won't. Um, dye sounds a lot cheaper than extra metals, but I just want colored everything, man. Yeah. so
0: It, it reminds me of coloring glass. I was uh, very surprised to hear that, like, oh, you add gold to glass to make it blue. I don't remember if that's the actual like oh, wow. color, but yeah, it's I, you add a little bit of metal to the glass, and then it gives it a hue based on how like electrons uh, bounce off the metal atoms individually rather than as like a surface, um, and they add color to the glass, and that's how you get beautiful stained glasses uh, from from like old cathedrals and stuff like that. It's just they they sprinkled in a little copper, a little silver, a little gold. Uh, you don't when need a lot when it's molten. Um, yeah, when it's molten. They like mix it. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's cool. And you get transparent okay. gla- transparent colored glass. So it's not at all the color you think. It's not like you get silver out of silver. Right? Sure, yeah. Um, so really cool huh. stuff. Uh, I think it's based on like the oxidation colors. So like with copper you okay. get like blue and greens. Um, I think uh, but my chemistry uh, is not a degree and it hasn't, hasn't been uh, further educated for the past 10 years. So I might be way off on that. So don't quote me. <laughs> let's uh, let's consult Naya Red. He could, yeah. he could surely tell us. Um, and elsewhere in the rumor mill, uh, we have next-gen AirPods uh, that might be coming with accurate temperature sensors. So this is uh, in opposition to the temperature tracker in Apple Watches, which just checks the change in temperature over time because it turns out mm. the top of your wrist is not the greatest place to check like your temperature. It's it's way colder than your actual body. Um, so you can't get an actual like measurement from that. But inside of your ear canal, <laughs> that's a, that's that's pretty a different good. story. Uh, in yeah. fact, that's what doctors tend to use. They just put a thing in yes. your ear and they get a beep and they get a temperature, so... Uh, that's definitely something that Apple could, uh, play around with over time. Uh, and it would be quite cool to have just a constant reading of your temperature if you use AirPods. So definitely thumbs up to that.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's a, uh, that's a fun, I mean, that that's the kind of thing that like isolated, it seems super weird, but like, I'm sure there are good uses for it. So
0: that's, you know, that's cool. I mean just warning you that your temperature is rising rapidly. Like yeah. before like, hey, are you, you getting feel sick? The, the the fever symptoms like really hitting you, it's like, oh, like this is going to explain a whole lot over what's coming over the next two hours and then you know when it's done, right? Um mm-hmm. where versus like constantly checking the temperature. Is it done yet? No. Uh check again in thirty minutes, kind of thing. So um I, yeah not that I you're gonna be like... wearing your airpods like while you're sick in bed it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> keep the temperature tracking though maybe right there's nothing maybe. wrong oh. with that uh, if the if the the noise uh, cancellation doesn't give you a major headache along right. with the fever then you're probably gonna be fine so yeah
1: i just mean like imagine another company being like our headphones have temperature tracking you'd be like cool mm, yeah <laughs> So it would be a more of
0: a gimmick, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if they had a whole ecosystem of like health ah. tracking, then it then it suddenly clicks together. Yeah. Uh and finally in the rumor mill, uh we have uh OLED iPads and MacBooks, uh which are both coming and not coming soon. Who knows? <laughs> OLED, it's magic. We want it yeah. everywhere, maybe?
1: Yeah, interesting. Uh you know, we've talked in the past that uh you know like the 12.9 inch iPad Pro right now uses mini LED, the, the 11 just uses LED. Um so they kind of it seems like they want to and same thing for the MacBook Pros as well use uh mini LED. Uh we've talked in the past about them using micro LED, so maybe that's just taking longer than they thought it would cuz uh, this says that Apple's release uh, plan plan to release MacBook Pros with OLED displays has been pushed to 2027. So I don't even know where micro LED is in this pipeline. 2032 or something? I don't know. Uh, so yeah, I guess they're kind of foregoing the uh, idea of mini, or sorry, micro LED.
0: Well, uh, they're probably checking it point. out like simultaneously, sure. right? um yeah. whichever technology wins out they clearly don't need to move over yet um there's no like pressure from other tablet manufacturers to to go ahead True. and like force the force them to change and the screens on macbooks seem pretty okay um and more than okay on the macbook pros so um yeah i'm it's, not convinced um... that we need them super soon
1: no, I agreed. I just the, for me this came out of nowhere because I I just thought the plan was just you know micro LED all the way. Um, if, the Pro if Display XDR exists. <laughs> yes, true. The Pro Display XDR is it uh, mini LED or is it OLED?
0: Yeah, it's mini LED with okay. fewer LEDs than the new MacBook Pros, uh, which is that's right hilarious uh, considering <laughs> its price. Um, but yes. I don't think Apple's going to bother making a new one anytime soon. Uh which because yeah. if they did, it would be way cheaper because they have the whole manufacturing pipeline for the MacBook Pros, uh that the whole machine costs less than the display. So um yeah. Uh I yeah. don't know what to what to think in that regard. Eventually <laughs> I can see them like updating uh the Pro Display XDR to have uh potential like if they wanted to keep the price point, here's my hypothesis. Hypothesizing, yes. right? Uh, they use the new backplane, which is basically a circuit board with LEDs. That's the magic of what makes the, the MacBook Pros possible. Uh, the Pro Display CR had a whole bunch of individual LEDs with, like, these cones, um, and it needed the distance to, like, illuminate. But if you have a b- bunch of very small LEDs very close, which is what the MacBook Pros have, then you don't really need all that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you have that, okay? Uh, now you have an LCD layer and if you wanted to have much better blacks, you just have another LCD layer that you perfectly line up black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that gives you like, it basically multiplies the, the, uh, the, what's the contrast? Yeah. The contrast ratio, uh, it multiplies it so that way you get much darker blacks. Um, and as long as you have really bright lights on the other end, you get some bright whites. Um, so, uh, that's essentially how they can make the pro display XDR much better without going to OLED, without having burn in, uh, and keeping the same price point that they want to keep, uh, if they want to keep it. Um, okay. so that could be one way that they make the pro display XDR stand out from a 27 inch that also has micro LEDs, um, or mini LEDs. I should clarify uh so like everyone can have hdr the pro display xdr has xdr um kind of thing so right that's that's the way i see it
1: i'm just um hoping that <laughs> self-servingly i hope that they come out with a new display a new pro display xdr so the the one that you have will devalue and i can eventually buy one because i just bought a thunderbolt display i know it's like 10 years old at this point, but I just bought it for $30 or sorry, $80. And I was stoked. So just need to add to the collection. Uh, I just love the back of those. And yeah,
0: Spencer's house think? is turning into a museum of Apple products. <laughs> I know. One device up at up a like, time.
1: I'm up to like five Mac minis and a trash can that I'll just kind of sit around. And yeah, it's fun.
0: So the, the energy bill just keeps climbing. Is like, what am I spending all this energy <laughs> yeah. on? It's like the AC has been off. <laughs> Oh man. Well, you know. Uh it's okay. The energy will stop rising as soon as like you enter the M generation, once we're at the M fifteen or whatever, and mm. you're like you're back back uh back acquiring the M twos, M threes, M fours, yeah. like they all use nothing. <laughs> uh, and Ten they're just like max. all all on at the same time. You have a wall of Mac minis with blinking lights. <laughs>
1: Uh, that's awesome still using less power than like a single uh filament bulb so we're good <laughs> yeah you have
0: a filament bulb right next to it and then a the wall of mac Mini's. <laughs> <laughs> how much computing power does your light bulb <laughs> that's awesome yet the filament uh, bulb still outputs more light than all the leds of the mac mini oh mind. it's like ooh, burn yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so such a burn uh
0: <laughs> one day one um, day indeed uh Talking about one days, Uh, one day you'll be able to order a Vision Pro. We don't know when that is, but when it does come, apparently the Vision Pro is going to require appointments for the final fit. So uh, this is going to be awkward for uh, the introverts and pandemic aware (laughs) verse uh, folks uh, like us who don't want to be just like going into an Apple store and uh, taking off a mask to like fit a bunch of pieces of foam that probably touched a whole bunch of other people's faces um yeah. but yeah it seems like that's going to be required for ultimate comfort um so we'll see what apple does once it does finally come out they are not expecting to sell a lot of these they were initially yeah. expecting to sell like one per day per store um with like a million <laughs> uh, a million units estimated sold uh and then as yeah. soon as they did the announcement they're like our current estimates is hundred thousand <laughs> one per week for store or something um, uh, so they're not expecting to sell a whole lot of these, um, yeah. which is fair. Uh, they are super expensive and everyone re- reacted as such. Uh, <laughs> but to those of us who do want to get one, uh, it seems like we'll have to go to the store, uh, to get fit, uh, which if it makes you feel any better, only a handful of people will probably have gone through that process. So might be better. I don't know.
1: Yeah. Silver lining. Silver lining. Um, this nine to mac 9 to 5 mac article says says it pretty well um says much of the lo- lo- wow much of the logistical complexity is a product of how many variations of accessories will exist so they'll offer different headbands and light seals uh, just to like make the perfect fit and i guess i get why they're doing it right for such an expensive device they want to make sure that you have the best experience but like that's a lot to ask for and deal with up front to be like, I want this thing, give it to me. And they're like, whoa, 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 you got to get your haircut first and make sure, you know, this all fits around you. Uh, I see why they're doing it, but it's, it's a lot. So very interesting. And I'm interested, I'm sure someone's going to make a YouTube video on this whole experience. And it's just going to be ridiculous. Like they're sectioning off a, a part of their store just for the try on area. I mean, it's a whole thing. And I guess that's, What they have to do to make sure that you have a good experience with this thing that's uh, the price of a a used car. So,
0: It's a very fancy used car, Spencer.
1: Yes. uh, Can't drive around in it. So point taken from uh, point to old cars. Uh, I should mention, though, they did say that uh, Apple is developing a face scanning app that'll help pick the right light seal and everything, probably using, you know, the the face ID array and everything. So that would uh, potentially help if it gets to the point where you can use that instead of and they like let you use that instead of going into the Apple Store. That'd be nice.
0: Yeah, maybe you can't order online, but you can order through the Apple Store app. right? Right. Because you can then use all those sensors to get an accurate uh, view of your face, so right, yeah,
1: yep. And they're um talking about making uh a top strap to help with people with smaller heads and uh working with other people that uh, other companies to develop <laughs> accessories to like hold the the battery because no one wants to put it in their pocket, type of thing. So uh, seems like you know things are developing uh with this whole thing, you know.
0: I mean, there's already that one case maker and I'm not going to find the link for it at this point, but, uh, they had like the whole shock absorbers around the things. It's like, oh in case you like gosh. dropped it, I guess. Um, yes. the, so, uh, expect ridiculous cases to come out for this device. It, they will be funny. This week's episode of code completion is once again brought to you by explain it slowly. Have you ever wondered how anime is made or how old TVs work or even why you start picking up other people's accents just by hanging out with them? Welcome to Explain It Slowly, a podcast where Lynn and I explore any and every topic from technology to food twice a week. We've covered everything from SSDs to food comas and can't wait to share what we've learned next with all of you. So open up your favorite podcast app and search for Explain It Slowly to learn something new with us every week. We want to thank Explain It Slowly for sponsoring our show. Search for Explain It Slowly on your favorite podcast app or visit htps colon slash slash explainitslowly.show to learn more. So, Spencer, I've got a code completion tip for you today. Um, Have you ever designed an icon for a button and it just felt off? It wasn't quite positioned right next to other buttons and it just, Mm -hmm. you like selected everything, got the bounding box, got the center to line and it's not looking good, right? Yep. Okay. Well, uh, David Smith, uh, who is underscore David Smith on Mastodon, shared an excellent tip for solving that problem. Blur your shape and visually center it. So once you blur your Mm. shape, then you start to get a sense for not its hard edges, but where it visually falls, where its center of gravity is. Um, And that's what you're actually interested in. You're interested in that center of gravity where where all the shapes kind of center around uh, regardless of where their bounding boxes are. Uh the simplest example of this is a play button, right? A play button is an equilateral triangle. Yeah. Uh which if you were to center you have uh it would be positioned way too much towards um I left. think the yeah, it would be too too much towards the left, right? Um yeah. because the center of that equilateral triangle is not the width divided by 2. It's mm-hmm. where all the points of the triangle meet in the middle, uh, in the right. middle. Um, and visually, if you were to blur that, you get a perfect circle and it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's where that goes. Um, so if you want it, if you have a much more complicated shape and you're not sure where that would go, just blur the whole thing uh, and then just see where the, where does the blur look like it has a center and then just align that and then you're good. So
1: that's so interesting. Yeah. yeah eyes are weird, man.
0: It's not so much eyes, it's just the fact that bounding boxes are not how we should center things at all, but it's how computers are like, yeah, this looks like a center. Uh, okay. So, like, if you were to try to center it visually, you would probably do a much better job than the computer, and then you, like, turn on oh. snapping, and you're like, oh, I guess the computer said this is the center, so this <laughs> right. is the center, you know? Uh, whereas mm. you were much more, you were much closer, even though, like, you were off horizontally or whatnot. Um, so... Yeah, definitely. A plus tip from underscore David Smith. Uh, I never thought of that, and I am committing it to memory because it is the best way to get those icons perfectly positioned. Uh, And this week uh, on completion curiosities, uh, these are two things that I found over the past uh, few weeks browsing the web and I found were endlessly fascinating, so I decided to share them all with you today. Uh, The first is font size. Uh, font size um is uh something that is not totally based in reality and is yeah. kind of completely useless um and uh sophia on macedon shared a link to a blog uh, called tons uh that just kind of goes on to why font size is useless and gives some very quick examples of like hey If you have these different fonts and they're all at the same size, there's a reason why they look all different. And that's because everything is arbitrary and digital fonts kind of don't really know what they're doing. And it's a mess. And let's just stop listening to digital fonts uh, with regard to font size. And let's just kind of figure this out from scratch and make it a whole lot better. Um, So uh, I highly recommend if you're interested in text. Uh, and type in any amount uh, to read this because uh, it goes into a whole lot of detail of like the why and how. Um, And namely, font size is not all, right? And once you get the font sizes matched, now you have the font weights to deal with, which is a whole nother thing uh, that you would want to match. So uh, this is just like the beginning of the rabbit hole uh, for for type uh, connoisseurs out there uh to kind of get lost in and i was very fascinated by it
1: yeah i was it was very interesting and he goes into some like proposed fixes on like how to make it better and how to actually make fonts consistent between different fonts line heights and everything it was it was very cool i i really enjoyed it it would be uh fun to see this change it just were we as in people that make computers and operating systems are just stuck in the past of like when it was actually like a letter press, like the actual metal blocks that you would press onto a piece of paper. Like that's where this is all coming from. We're like still stuck on that when we could be doing this in a lot better way. So it was really cool.
0: Yeah. And to be fair, it's not just like the web that is afflicted by this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even Big Sur most recently uh, kind of uh, shot the can on on aligning type correctly. Um, and he shows a, an example between Catalina and Big Sur where Catalina did everything right and Big Sur kind of just like went, well, whatever. Awesome. Um, and nothing is aligned anymore. Uh, so if you've ever tried a line shape, welcome to aligning text. It's a whole lot more complicated. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, hopefully, Hopefully this can This can help you understand why it's complicated and maybe make some slightly better decisions as you design your apps. Yes. Uh, Number two on my uh, list of curiosities for this week are a set of predictions from 1997, which are eerily uh, relevant. And it's kind of amazing how relevant they are. Um, And yeah, I, I was a little scared. Yep, it was
1: pretty crazy. The whole thing was uh, basically like, you could we could potentially achieve, achieve Utopia by 2020. Um, and these are these, uh, they said, scenario spoilers, or in other words, negative events that might send it in a worse direction. The list 10 of these scenario spoilers, almost all of them basically happened, which is like holy crap like nostradamus level predictions it was crazy so uh yeah super super cool
0: yeah generally generally we are like horrible at predicting the future is like oh yeah we're gonna have flying cars and it's like still no flying cars but we have supercomputers in our pockets who saw that coming right yeah um and it's like oh everyone's gonna be an advanced civilization no we're using the supercomputers to watch youtube videos um so it's like who knows how technology actually is going to evolve, but uh, for something from 20 years ago uh, that uh, like did not know cell phones were coming and did not know uh, how everything is going to go. Uh, they, they surely knew how to read the tea leaves well, because uh, this list is uh chef's kiss. Uh, just excellent. So I don't want to spoil it here. Uh, do yeah. go ahead and check that out for yourself. And uh be pleasantly amazed by uh <laughs> what what they uh went on going for um and yeah it's it's yeah. just wonderful just wonderful i uh there's
1: a reply to this too that says as suspected we are in fact in the bad timeline which is like <laughs> yep that's pretty good
0: <laughs> it's uh 100% accurate yep as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on at Completion to know when new episodes go live. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Uh, okay, so for commented out, I wanted to talk a little bit about my learnings from uh, building a codable data store. Um, yeah. Namely, uh, with regard to performance. So I learned a lot um, while building a database. Uh, I didn't initially set out to build a database, which is why I did not call it Codable Database. I called it Codable Data Store, something lightweight, uh, something that <laughs> is not going to take a ton of implementation. Right? It's just going to be mm-hmm. eh, eight, nine files. Like, do we need folders to organize this? Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. not. Uh, well, thirty thousand lines of code later. <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh. Uh,
0: I don't know if it's 30,000. It's definitely over 10. Uh, but uh, a whole lot of lines of code later. Um, I have built an ACID compliant database, which is more than most databases. Nice, um, dude. It is not something... Okay, so it is functional. At this point, Like finally, the line in the sand of like functional has been crossed. Um, this can be used. I would not suggest anyone use it at the stage because a is missing unit tests, a whole lot of unit tests. It's been kind of prodded at like I I do some, uh, some uh, hanky doodle tests of like throwing a a few hundred thousand entries at it and seeing how it behaves. Um, So it does stuff. Uh, It should function, Um, but it will likely break uh, the underlying, Uh, file format will likely change and render all data you've saved completely unreadable. Uh, so do consider those things before, uh, trying it out, but, uh, it, it is ACID compliant and you might be wondering, uh, what ACID compliant, uh, is, uh, and let's see if I can, if I can, uh, remember what the acronym is without looking it up, uh, while Spencer looks it up. Uh, yeah, I don't remember either. So you have atomic, which means that every transaction is atomic. It's not just, oh, I want to increment a value on the database, please increment it. That's not uh, asset. Right. Uh, this is, hey, I want to read a value, make a decision, write to this, write to that, read another value, and then write to this over here. That whole thing has to complete without being impacted by anything else. Um and if anything changes about those assumptions the thing that i read at the beginning if that changes before i finish my write that transaction no. is no longer atomic uh so it has to be as if i did this before anyone else considered anything so uh that's what the a in acid so,
1: means are you lo- like using a lock or something to no. do that
0: well oh. i guess technically if you consider actors like they do the oh, okay. thing Uh, But this does not necessarily lock. uh, It just serializes all your write transactions. So as you start a transaction, if you want to start another write transaction, it always happens after After. the previous write transaction. If you want to start a read transaction, that can go ahead and start at any time because it grabs a snapshot Mm -hmm. of the data store at that moment in time. Um, Because every mutation i'm making to the data store basically writes brand new data to disk and it just shares the data that did not change in the process um, so anything okay. can always reference an older version that is a few seconds old or a few milliseconds old even um, and that one will be completely in, in in its entirety like like consistent and that's what the c sure. that's what i was trying to think Aha! Of, that's what the c uh, and you can tell me if i got this right is it consistency It is consistent. Okay, cool. Uh, And that's consistency. So uh, this means that uh, anything that you write has to end up in a consistent state. You cannot uh, have a data store that if you were to write two things at the same time, you end up in an inconsistent state, which like you don't know which one you ended up getting. Right? Right. If you read one and then you increment it to two, and then the other one read one and increments it to three... That one might fail, or that one might have to wait until it reads two and then increments it to four. you know? Um, mm-hmm. So you end up in a very consistent state every single time uh, because of these transactions. The next uh, letter on this list is I, and I think this stands for integrity. Nope, nope. darn. What's it stand for? Isolation. Isolation. Okay, so this is what I was talking about before, where uh, while you're writing to the database, other things can read from the database without being impacted by uh, what is happening in the writes because they have a whole copy.
1: So you don't like if you're writing something, it's not locking the whole database, basically. It's only it is not locking the part that it needs to worry about. You could access other things. You can even you're access that isolation. record.
0: Say you're writing to a record. You can read a previous version of that record that's a few milliseconds old once again. Okay. um, And not be impacted by the writes that are happening right then and there. Um, And that brings us to the last letter, which is D, and this stands for durability. Yep. Okay, and this means that, hey, you finished your transaction, great, and then someone unplugs the computer. Your thing that you got success for actually saved. So this Mm. means that at the end of every transaction, before the transaction finishes, everything got saved to disk, saved to permanent storage, um, and is accessible even in a failure situation. So uh, I (laughs) did not set out to build an acid compliant database. I set out to just build transactions because transactions are cool. Um, And in building transactions, you get all of these properties, uh, which is really, really nice. So... Um, in the context of an iOS app, this means that if your user force quits apps, uh, frantically, uh, if you <laughs> got success that your thing got saved, your thing is durable. um, if you are, uh, reading a record on one screen, but then writing to it in the background based on a network request, not going to be impacted. Uh, if you need to make uh concurrent reads on different threads and queues and things like that, it's all going to work um if you uh need to make sure that uh as you're doing as the user is doing something that a network update does not mess with what the user is doing it's all going to work as well um so uh if you need to modify two different records from two different data stores at the same time and make sure that they're in sync properly uh because you want to make sure like say if you have uh a book tracking app and you have authors and books right You need to make sure that as you update a book, you update the author and vice versa. Right. Uh, You can do this in one transaction and it's all going to be safe. Nice. So that's going to be my example app. I've been thinking about it uh, in the back of my head. Like I need something to kind of show how this all works. So that's... Are you going to write an an app that does all that? Yeah. you're just going to like... A super, super janky UI of like, hey, here's books and here's authors and this is how it all is linked together. Here's how you migrate. (laughs) Uh, from right. one data set to another, so um, cool. Yeah, that's what acid compliance is. Uh, so that is one part of writing a database, right? It would be cool to have this acid compliance. It's also cool to have a cruddy database, right? So, uh, yes. And I say cruddy uh, jokingly because CRUD is actually an acronym for uh, create, read, update, and delete, uh, which is the four basic things that a database might need to do, or any persistence right. really. Um, yeah. So, I had ironically enough uh create an update uh done way before read and delete. Um and in the process of writing create an update, well, there was some uh, performance hiccups. Uh let's we can call them nicely, right? Of uh, uh hey, I want to just deal with 100,000 records. That's not too many, right? Um well, it turns out my naive implementation uh, really suffered from uh, having 100,000 things, which is, defeats the whole point of having a database, right? It's like, I could have just yes. written this as a plist uh, and be done with it. <laughs> that would be awesome. That's your database as a plist. <laughs> uh, ironically just enough, one. it could be a plist uh, if if you write your own persistence plugin. Uh, it's a pluggable database. Um, mm. But yeah, so if you did want to... Uh, have a database, you need to support all these operations and you need to support them performantly, right? Um, Right. And I learned quite quickly, hey, using lazy, using filter, not great things to use when you need to do 100,000s of iterations uh, quickly, right? Right. Um, And I I got intimate with big O notations uh, to kind of solve how to access this data as fast as possible without slowing down, like adding an if statement would slow it down. Uh, adding in a weight in a tight loop would slow it down. Uh, so need getting rid of all of that as much as I could is what helped get the speed uh, faster and faster. So if you're curious in terms of what kind of changes are necessary uh, to increase the performance like this, you can just check out all the different PRs on Codable Datastore. Like you can see my my process uh, going through as I went and discovered what things played a part and what things didn't play a part. Namely, right. don't test performance on debug. <laughs> uh, I got reminded of that once again uh, because testing performance on release is A, way faster. Um, So that makes yeah, you bet. feel good. Uh, though you still want it to be fast on debug. So you can test it on debug if you want. But there were some changes I made that were slower on release, but faster on debug. So <laughs> yes, it's just part of... Uh, doing uh, performance work is you don't know what you're really going to be improving. Uh, and the only way to know is to measure. So I built a, a quick little test utility that just wraps a nugget of code and then just counts how how long it takes over many iterations. Uh, and I saw, okay, compared to the overall like thing that I'm doing, uh, does doing this uh, a thousand times Uh, Is this a significant portion of that? Does it climb in percentage? Like, does it start off as just 10% of the time, but then when you're at 50,000 entries, does it now take 70% of the time? That's a big... uh, This thing is growing um, Mm -hmm. faster than everything else. So if you solve this, you might solve a significant portion of the performance of the thing that you're writing. So uh, that was another thing that I learned. Um, Yeah. But... It was... um it was very fun to see <laughs> demetrius like messaging
1: us in our slack group about all of this i think he started on like tuesday or wednesday and it was very fun to like see this progression of like him trying to make it uh ten thousand entries i think he started with mm-hmm. and seeing this like progression of like it's like took 300 seconds in debug and then he got it down to something stupid good like uh well yeah nineteen seconds
0: per it's currently uh, at seven seconds and everything is correct yeah it was like I mean, three seconds like... and things were not correct uh so that needs hmm. some tweaking uh but it's but currently at seven uh so yeah, I'm very happy faster. with that
1: so cool yeah so it was very fun to like see
0: this progression of like it's like
1: going like this and now it's like whoop.
0: Yeah, yeah it's it really it's good. very constant oh. time uh which I'm super happy with. Uh, because if you remember arrays, uh, you want to insert random things in an array. It's not going to be constant time. It's going to be linear yeah. uh, at at best or at worst, I would say. Um, so this this is uh, a slightly different data structure. It's a it's. A, I don't know if it's a B tree. I'm not. I, I'm not well versed in computer science enough to know the exact name for this. Uh, but it's an index of arrays that are of constant length. Uh, so if you need to change anything, you're changing at most one or two of those entries. And as long right. as you don't have a whole bunch of those entries, then you have relatively good performance. And this should, this should last for most needs up to a few terabytes of data. I don't know. I think, I think that's, that covers me well. Um, I don't think I need to do <laughs> yeah. more than that. So, no, I
1: think that's pushing. Oh, so I did want to ask and, um, I was going to ask in Slack, but, um, Is this going to support, like, large, I I don't know, like, videos? Or are you just going to, like, have them store it elsewhere and then, like, store a reference to it in the
0: database itself? So, originally, I was going to do the core data move of, like, hey, if you want to store an image, go ahead and store your image somewhere and then go ahead and and link it. Uh, But then I realized... I built all the things to support like larger than my page size data. Right, if you have sixteen megabytes okay. and the pages are four kilobytes, it will chunk that sixteen megabytes accordingly and place them in individual Ooh. pages. Uh, okay. So you could one hundred percent store images in Codable Data Store, and it should work fine. Um, the only thing is you should not store them as data within another larger object because then that's going to turn into base 64 and just be like three fourths larger, (laughs) which is not ideal. Um, But if you did store it as a separate data store, so say you have one data store for your actual data Hmm. and a separate data store for your images that are keyed by an ID, then you can go ahead and just fetch, Hey, I want the image for this ID and it's going to give you that data. Um, So that is something that's also going to work just fine. And it should be a little bit more efficient than just storing it on the file system, which will go ahead and waste the padding of the last four kilobyte block. Um, Mm -hmm. Because the way file systems work is every file is uh, determined by a minimum block size. And if it is smaller than that block size, it uses that. If it's larger, it uses two or three or four. Sorry.
1: No, you're good. So more efficient space wise, but like I, I have no idea how it w- actually works. Like you have to <clears throat> pull all of the four kilobyte pages for that file and like assemble, assemble them. Is that going to be faster than just loading it off of the file system?
0: Maybe, or? maybe not. Uh, I don't think okay. it's going to be faster than the file system because you're going to have to load a whole lot more files than just one. Um Yeah. So there's there's that to contend with, but it would also not be consistent uh, with the file system if you were to just do it that way. Whereas if you were to do it this way, you can make sure that as you delete records, you delete the thing as you create records, you create the thing because you're doing everything in lockstep, right? If you add an image Mm -hmm. or if you replace an image, you might say, hey, delete the image from the data store and then it's gone only if that succeeds. If it doesn't succeed, then the image stays there. Uh, And you don't lose your image as a result of... So it would be a lot simpler for you to develop uh, your image store along with your data store, right? Um, Because everything stays consistent. It's not terribly inefficient either, right? Uh, Because let's say you have a whole ton of images. So every image gets split up into, say, three pages, right? Um, And you have a thousand images, so you have a whole ton of pages, well, you can choose, hey, for this data store, let's make the page size a whole lot bigger, one. So okay. now you have yeah. five images per page. Um, and then you can go ahead and very quickly load a sequence of images if you want, if their IDs and are, are in a good order. Um, you can just load the sequence of images as an async sequence um, and just have the data come in. Um, so that's okay. one uh, way of doing it as well.
1: That's cool. That's fun. So, yeah, I guess by extension, you've kind of answered my question. But, like, you'll allow it to support multiple databases running at the same time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so you have one persistence that's on disk, and you can have many data stores that are associated with it. Every data store can be written concurrently, um, because at the end of the day, uh, they don't, like, touch each other though mm-hmm. in one transaction you can write multiple and that would kind of block the other ones. Um, so that is something to consider. Uh, everything can be re- can be read concurrently, um, no matter what. Um, and the persistence is currently there's only one. It's a disk persistence. Um, I plan on having a memory persistence, which will be useful in hmm. your app's unit tests. So that way you can make sure, yeah. hey, I want to just like run through a sequence with this static data let me make a memory persistence with that static Mm -hmm. data and plug it in at the beginning. And then all your SwiftUI views have that static data to work with that is mutable, right? You can go ahead and change it in the view um, and it would persist in memory. Um, Mm -hmm. And then down the line, I'm thinking, hey, it would be pretty easy to have a distributed uh, persistence as well. Um, And this is something that can allow multiple client servers to talk with one central server that is managing the persistence kind of like a database server um so that is like way down the line i'm not i'm not building that one anytime soon but (laughs) the model uh extends to that it's just the protocol persistence and then if you implement the few dozen methods that are necessary then it would work right yeah now you just need to uh i
1: already forgot what it was called um Have that, you know, extension macro that we talked about at the start of the show. Just, you know, make the conformance for you. It's that easy.
0: Uh, it would be different for every (laughs) single thing, but. Uh, No, 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 (laughs) no. I I joke. (laughs) So, yeah, getting very close to to finally being able to use this in apps. uh, There's quite a bit left to do. Like, I don't know, indexes of other things other than the ID um, might be important. Maybe. It uh, depends on, like, your use case. If you're just storing stuff and then never retrieving it, that's fine. Uh, but if you yeah. wanted to, like, <laughs> uh, store stuff and then retrieve it for a list and not load all of it in memory, an, an index is useful. So all the code for managing the index, since the primary uh, listing is an index at the end <clears> of the day, <throat> um, is there. So just need to do the rest of it. Um, cool. It's like uh, step one, draw the, draw the circle. Yeah. Step two: draw, <laughs> draw the, the rest owl. of the owl. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but the step two has been going quickly because yesterday I added, uh, read and deletes and those were very straightforward. Now that I had the updates in place because the updates needed mm-hmm. to be able to read data and update it. Um, so the read part is just, well, I'm just delete all that updating code and you have a read and the delete is, oh, let me just delete half of the updating code that would replace the data with something useful after it deleted the old. One. Right. Um, so Everything is kind of coming into coming together, um, as I say. So, looking forward to uh, getting to a place where everything is kind of good enough to use in an app, which is my like goalpost, because I wanted to build an app, and therefore I spent all this time building this instead. <laughs> um, classic, classic. Uh, so once I once I get to the point where this is good enough to build an app. Development might slow on this uh, for a little bit as I start to use it in a real thing. Um, and then oh, at that good. point, that's when I'm going to make the biggest learnings of like, oh, this was a bad decision um, and need to go back well, to the drawing board a little bit. So, Yeah, I mean, that's exactly
1: like we talked about with the proposal on the macros. People started using the like, oh, it's missing
0: this. So That's, I think, a very invaluable part of, of this process. Yeah. Feedback, right? Um, yep. So, if you're interested in cod- Codable Data Store, I f- encourage you to follow along. It's been a very fun journey developing it and learning about like how databases should work and how they are put together. Um and it's a good it's a good lesson in that. Um I'm not really ready yet to accept like other people contributing because it's still like mostly planned out in my head and not put on paper in any form so i want to get that part done um and then once uh i stop or i start slowing down improving it as i start using it that's when um i would be more more open to having other people help contribute and make it better as well so uh until that point in time uh just hold tight and watch along. Uh, don't use it, please. Uh, you you are going to lose data. I <laughs> added a nice warning at the top. It's like warning: you will lose your data if you use this. Because nice. you will likely lose your data if you use this. But uh, getting there.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. At the very least, when it does get to a point where you do want it to, like you know your V1 or whatever, uh, I'm sure Dimitri would appreciate people using it. Uh, in apps, though, in, yeah, you know giving feedback but, yeah, I'll let you know you when, it's, when it's when it's safe data. to use because I yeah. do plan yeah. <laughs> on
0: one once I like reach a certain <clears throat> point in time, probably shipping my first app with it, uh, I will want to maintain its ability to not uh, like lose access to that data um, long term. So yes. any update past that point will support backwards compatibility with older data stores. Um, there are provisions in the API to Warm up the data store, for instance, so that way you can go ahead and uh, like update everything in the background while showing a UI with progress. So that way the user knows, hey, oh, my, nice. my data is migrating. Uh, I just got to hold tight rather than watch a spinning wheel for who knows how long, right? Uh, don't yeah. you all love those? Uh, so I don't those want, guys? I don't love those. So I built it as part of the API. It's like you're going to have a progress indicator that's, that's nice. going to show you as it's marching through updating data uh what what the status looks like so uh that is something uh that is going to be useful there um and then i don't know there were other things planned oh i want to make sure that you have like undo that survives cross launches because ios apps are kind of ephemeral that's um, nice and that would be very cool to have so you just have persistent history since the beginning of time that you can just undo all the way it will probably that's stop cool. anytime a migration happens because, like, there's no point in mm-hmm. doing past that point. Um, but yeah, it, it should be relatively full-featured for most app needs. Uh, the only thing that I thought of that will be missing from 1.0 and probably most versions up after that point is are things like full text search, uh, which I'm sorry, that's complicated. I know how to add it. Uh, I will add it eventually, yeah. but eh, it's going to, it's, it's kind of after everything else. Um, so going to get everything else done first.
1: Cool. That's exciting. Yeah. We're on, on our Slack group. I think we're all super excited about it, especially like me and Fernando, I think are ready to like, just throw it in our apps and like
0: (laughs) start using it. So
1: uh, as long as you're okay,
0: losing data, go for it.
1: (laughs) uh, I'm yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Fernando's like, I want to use it at work. I'm like, okay, dude, (laughs) that's, that's cool.
0: Yeah, the the only thing missing from all my plans is how to like uh, be financially viable uh, over all this work that I put into this uh, sort of thing. So uh, until then, please listen to our show uh, and uh, download my wife's app uh, because that's the only app that we have for sale. (laughs) Um, And uh, I don't know, Uh, spread, spread the love. Uh, That's that's how you can support it for now. Um, I don't know If if I'll like set up a Patreon or something. Uh, or GitHub sponsors or GitHub sponsors, yeah. I'll think cool. I'll think of something for those that want to uh have a support plan. Uh, that's probably what I'll do is I'll have a support plan that costs a lot of money for big companies. Um yeah, that if they go. if they want that's help good. uh and you are part of a big company, that's just give me money and I'll I will help you. Uh and I think that's what Realm does. Maybe. Is it financially viable? <laughs> I don't know. Well yeah realm swift because yeah, i would yeah, I, I would know. love for this to be my job like write components uh for other apps that sounds totally awesome the only way that can be my job though is if i were to work for apple and then i have to like not do anything else which i don't want that to be my job so uh this is like a good middle ground so long as i can kind of make it work uh but for all intents and purposes this will 100 percent be free it's released under the mit license so as long as you uh, say where you got it from, uh, you're A OK to use it for anything. Um, nice. And yeah, I think that's how open source software should work for the most part. Yeah, definitely. Sounds good. Thanks for All listening. Right,
1: everyone. Bye.